Welcome to the Road to Zero, a future-proof podcast, as we explore the changing nature of our economy as we look for prosperity and opportunity in not only preserving, but also improving our environment. Today on the Road to Zero, we're talking to Joseph Pellant, the founder and executive director of Blockchain for Climate Foundation, joining us from Vancouver, BC. Welcome, Joseph, and thank you Thanks for so being much, with Nick. us. Thanks so much, Nick. My pleasure. All right. So I'd like to hear a bit because you've been working in the sustainable field with, with regards to climate change for quite some time. Tell us a bit about your experience Certainly. there. So I have um, grew up in British Columbia, always loved being outdoors and in nature, got lots of great formative experiences um, in my youth and uh, went to the University of Victoria in BC, Canada to study biology and environmental studies in the 90s. And so have a a really good greeny underpinning and coming out of that um, and some further traveling recognized that we really needed mechanisms to deploy and enable the green ethos that, you know, has been evolving in society because we can want there to be better outcomes in the environment and biodiversity and climate as much as we want, but without solid pathways and toolkits and, you know, investment pathways and policy pathways to get there is just not going to happen. And I think um, the state of the world and society sort of demonstrates that. Uh, I was really lucky to be invited to join an organization, a company that was developing carbon offset projects, the first one through the Kyoto Protocol Clean Development Mechanism in Belize, a company called Brinkman Reforestation. Um, and kind of went down the the carbon offset rabbit hole back in 2004 and have been working in that space ever since. And uh, about four years ago in 2017, fell down the blockchain rabbit hole, learned about Ethereum, learned about the tools being built on top of Ethereum. Um, and really with the um, the launch of CryptoKitties, the first, not the first, but a major non-fungible token, um, the first one that I'd heard of, really had the solid aha how we can use blockchain to um, help beat climate change. And so that led to the founding of Blockchain for Climate Foundation um, and our work that we've been doing there. And tell us a bit about like how does the blockchain play out, like the, this whole word of Ethereum and blockchains, and, and how can we use that for to, to really further our climate uh, endeavors? What we saw was... Coming from the carbon offset space, um, both developing real projects on the ground in BC, around North America, around the world, and then also a lot of work to develop the standardization and certification tools that would allow us to show how this on-the-ground action turns into this environmental asset that we call a carbon offset. Uh, That's sort of been my specialty and what I've been so fascinated in. We wanted to do projects on the ground. We had to build tools durable tools with strong markets to enable that to happen. When I learned about even just sort of hearing about blockchain, even before spring of 2017, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're creating units, they're creating things that get transferred around. And as a carbon market professional, there's a real obvious corollary, a real obvious similarity between moving a token and moving an offset. And in learning more about initially the ERC-20 tokens, where Ethereum, you know, Ether is the token of the Ethereum blockchain, but then you can also create these other tokens 
that carry or are ascribed value that that was a first step. And there were some really neat pioneers like Dow IPCI putting carbon credits on the blockchain as ERC-20s back in March of 2017. Um, So we were very inspired by that and by their amazing team. But what I saw was as non-fungible tokens landed, we realized that we could put all of the um, details of what a carbon offset is, what its project name is, project location, standard that it was issued to, year that it was issued, etc., as well as later on also learning how to add additional uh, off-chain documents like PDFs with the standardization and certification that we could put these into non-fungible tokens, into NFTs, have them delineated in one-ton increments that would allow all of the, the transparency and granularity that you need to look at the qualities of one credit and then to actually spool that up and have that be part of an ecosystem and a trading system where you can have millions and billions of tons of emission reduction outcomes that have been achieved by proactive projects. We know where they're from. We know what the quality is. We know how to look in if we need to learn more. And so this got super exciting and it really does ride on the sort of natural characteristics of the blockchain of being able to always track and trace these units as they're created, moved around and and retired or burned and uh, leveraged all of the other work. This has been a major piece of it leveraging the work of the other creative people working on Ethereum who are building things like decentralized finance, like DeFi, like new token standards, new abilities to tokenize these attributes. And so there's just really fertile ground for making this intangible environmental asset of an offset into something that utilizes the rails that so many people are focused on, that so much wealth is being generated in and that so much creativity and just coolness is playing out on. And then just, just unpack that a little bit more. So, so you, you, you use the term non-fungible token. Can you just give me just a bit more of a, a layman's term? What sure. Does that mean? So there's a term of fungibility and it's funny because in carbon offsets, the, the thing that allows you to use a carbon offset from protecting a forest that was going to get logged to offset your car use for the year, for example, is that if keeping that forest intact is is reducing the emissions of in this, you know, let's say one ton of carbon dioxide, that you can pair that with the one ton or the five tons or whatever that your car emitted, because the atmosphere fundamentally sees emissions and emission reductions of carbon dioxide all the same. It is it uh, diffuses through the atmosphere very quickly. And so we think of these carbon credits as fungible. They're tradable like for like, which is sort of the definition of fungibility, or they're kind of all the same. And so that is what makes offsets work. In blockchain, it's it's a similar thing. So if you think about an Ether token uh, or a Bitcoin, those are fundamentally fungible tokens. Each Ether token or each Bitcoin is more or less worth the exact same as any other one. And they can be used or substituted if you and your friends all put 10 Bitcoins into a pot and then wanted to get those 10 Bitcoins out later. Wouldn't matter if you got other people's Bitcoin because it's all worth the same. The use case that we've been focusing on at Blockchain for Climate and that we've built our Bitmo platform, Blockchain Internationally Transferred Mitigation Outcome platform to serve, is actually the Paris Agreement carbon market and the international carbon market. 
to enable cross-border collaboration on emission reductions between the countries of the world. We can drive capital to the places where it can most efficiently reduce emissions, um, as well as have the other kind of co-benefits we want to see. And so when we were looking at how do we support this market and the advancement of this process, we're fundamentally thinking about a situation where there are thousands and tens of thousands of different projects that are all trying to feed their carbon offsets, their carbon credits into this system. And so if you just had a fungible token, it would be an entire mess. Or if you had to make 10,000 different tokens for 10,000 different projects, that's not going to fly. And so what we're creating at Blockchain for Climate Foundation is this pathway where all of the tokens are Bitmo tokens, and our goal is to have those be recognized as Paris Agreement compliant carbon credits. Each individual token, and it can be in clusters, so you could issue, say, your project made a million tons of carbon, you could issue a million tons, and they carry all of that rich information in this non-fungible token that allows um, all of that to be imbued right at the one ton level. And so that's how we can have one token type, the Bitmo, be clearly carrying and transparently carrying the carbon benefit from tens of thousands of different projects and engender and enable this international market, which needs to be a major part of how humanity uh, beats climate change if it's going to do it. And, and what I, from what I understand, the power of using these uh, blockchains is literally you, you got a project over here, let's say in Pakistan, planting a bunch of trees and they can, they can measure, okay, we've offset 100 tons of carbon. So you create a, a blockchain, like a, a, a token, as you say, and, and, maybe, and since it's 100, you'll have 100 tokens. So this is one of 100 or two of 100 for that particular project in that location. And all that information is in that digital ledger. And then when you sell it to someone, you could have someone that maybe verifies that, yeah, this is an actual project. You have a certification. And then it adds to the ledger. I think the power here is you can never delete or modify. You add on a layer. So you can track the whole thing all the way to who bought it, who offset whose emission, and that company can then prove, yes, we offset our emissions with this token that came all the way over here from that place in Pakistan that was one of 100 tokens, and here's all the, the whole ver verification stream. Is that the power of, of what blockchain It absolutely provides? is, and the one difference in your description, which could and hopefully will be a future reality just the way you described it, is that in our system, we are uploading and tokenizing already issued, proven, audited, and verified carbon credits. And so that's that difference um, because that needs to happen. And at present, both within our system, as well as I think most other markets, uh, it makes sense to do that off-chain. Now, I know that there's some really brilliant folks working on bringing that monitoring, reporting, and verification and issuance process on-chain. And so you would start feeding data in before it counts as a carbon credit and be doing more of that certification. And that can, especially if well-designed, have that benefit of more transparency and more immutability of that data. Uh, a colleague of mine, Emma Weisbord, and I, a bunch of years ago now in San Francisco, came up with this concept. We were trying to talk about data going from being off the blockchain to on the blockchain. And we were having a bit of a difficulty discussing it. And so we're like, well, let's just make a term. And so we've called it the Palant Weissboard margin, um, which is the theoretically optimal point for information to go from off the blockchain to on the blockchain. And so where we've identified the Palant Weissboard margin for the Bitmo platform is 
because national governments have sovereignty around what they count as a carbon credit, um, that each of them can have a, a wallet, an account on our blockchain, and they are sovereignly able to issue a carbon credit because that's how the Paris Agreement works. We can't change that. And so they are responsible for all of those steps before tokenization, including certification. Does it count as an offset? And because we can't control the quality, what we've really sought to do is have the most transparency possible on our system so that other buyers are able to assess that quality. Now, what percentage of these <clears throat> global carbon transactions are happening on your platform currently? Just to just get an idea of how much in the market. To how many decimal places would you like? 0.00 um, at present. So um, what we have done is we've built our platform now in beta on the Rinkeby testnet. So that's sort of a sort of sandbox testnet deployment spot where you can test and make sure your system works. Um, and what is great is we can now demonstrate and show this to people uh, and what our task that we're leaning into and getting rolling now is engaging with national parties, with national governments um, to help them understand what we're doing and trying to build a group. We're calling it the National Party Working Group where these so national party is a technical term for a group of people, usually in the Ministry of Environment, that are parties to the Paris Agreement. And so they are our target audience, because what we're doing is only useful if national governments say, hey, yes, we want to use this to issue and exchange our, our ITMOs, our Paris carbon credits. And uh, there is a uh, unclarity and a still to be determined around, can they just say that? Can they just deem that usable. And our best pathway is to be that we think that they can and to move that direction. And so if there are any national parties or people engaged with them listening to this that want to be part of a national party working group to learn about what we're doing, provide feedback or insight, because a lot of times they will have vastly more expertise than even our fairly expert team on the nuts and bolts of how the neg negotiations are going. And so... Um, that is an important piece to bring them on board, help them learn about it, help them improve it, and then hopefully become champions and eventual users of this platform. And so that's sort of our arc. We're hoping that we can then in parallel with that at the appropriate time, launch this on the Ethereum mainnet. Um, once there are users, we're sort of not wanting to put the cart before the horse there because once it's on the mainnet, there's cost and, and diligence needed to maintain it. Um, so we're trying to move things forward in sync. Um, but we do have a goal. A minimum goal is, is two countries making transactions um, because that's when it really gets real. And then hopefully it can, uh, that more people can jump on board. And there are two reasons why the Bit, Bitmo platform and why blockchain for climate. One is to get the ball moving because there are zero Actually, we're also 100% because there are no international transfers of mitigation outcomes. There's no ITMO trades under Paris Agreement right now at all. There's people who've lined up and said, we are going to, um, we want to, we are going to do this from this country to this country, but there's no system to do it. So we're trying to provide something in a slightly maverick way that governments can Dean to use. Um, and, and this is also because that the infrastructure needing to be built at the UN Framework Convention of Climate Change level um, also will take some time, we understand. So we want to speed it up. And then we also want to have the benefits of the blockchain, of the amazing DeFi and trading tools that can be built on it 
quite in a straightforward fashion and in a very transparent and globally accessible fashion uh, to get this all moving faster and to get it moving in a different way and, and arguably better than other types of non-blockchain systems have been de- developed before. So, so what I hear, this is kind of a, a new part of that Paris protocol that allows this international market to really happen under those new rules. And right now, there's not really much of a system. And you really proposed a, a pretty nice little system using blockchain. It has a lot of advantage to, I guess, what the alternative would be, would be like faxing, paper, and, and God knows what that would be. Yeah, and like. there is existing so, ways that registries do it, and they do a great job. And I think that they will always continue to be part of the ecosystem, maybe even the major one. But I also do see that there is a really big role for streamlining a lot of things, providing some more pathways with blockchain. And then you, you talked a bit of Ethereum. And can you just give us a, bit, a quick um, synopsis of what it is? I know it's inside this new cryptocurrency type ecosystem. So what is Ethereum and how does it compare to maybe something people might be more familiar with, it, which is sure. Bitcoin? So Ethereum is a, a blockchain and its native token is the Ether token or ETH. And like, whoa, it's a big topic. Um, so it has similarities to Bitcoin in that, you know, it has a native token. Bitcoin has Bitcoin, Ethereum has Ether, and they have a value. You can go buy them through Coinbase or through some centralized exchange. Uh, you can trade them in a variety of different ways, exchanges uh, directly, peer to peer. And that aspect is, in many cases, the only one that people will engage with. It's it's a store of value. It's a way to speculate. It's a way to transact value. And people can use it for that. What's so exciting and where Bitcoin and Ethereum really diverge is, though there have been some innovations and some people still really excited about other types of things that you can do with Bitcoin other than move around a Bitcoin, Ethereum has built this whole multi-splendored realm of different applications and different tools that have been built on Ethereum. So we talked a little bit about non-fungible tokens. A lot of people now in 2021 have been using this for art, for digital art, and enabling new models for artists to be able to monetize their work, new models for musicians, uh, all sorts of amazing stuff. There's DeFi, so decentralized finance that allows borrowing, lending, liquidity provision, all sorts of wild ways to like have money make money um, and and provide value and provide resources for people to go and deploy and invest. So there's all of these different things. There's really interesting stuff around decentralized identity. So can we have a digital identity that is more securely attached to us um, than you know just say your email account or trying to use legacy systems like your social insurance number or your phone number for that matter? So uh, it's kind of this whole world. People talk about Ethereum and I guess crypto in general as magical internet money, um, which can be, you know, a diss or it can actually be quite high praise. And uh, I also hear money Legos, which is something that the Gitcoin community talks about. So really, all of these tools are being built and they can combine together and click and mix and match um, and engage the world of money in all of these different ways. So I think that there are some really good metaphors. I don't know if I have them completely at the tip of my tongue. People have talked about Ethereum as like the world's a decentralized supercomputer because of the ability to run smart contracts, which are codes and code and programs 
on it to do all of these different things that you can do with code. So it's this really fascinating world. It's backstopped by a brilliant, diligent, super fun and funny community. A lot of people connect over over Twitter called Crypto Twitter um, for all sorts of communities, including Ethereum. And it's just such a treat to be a, a part of this community, be inspired by the stuff that people are doing. And quite honestly, we've been trying to build this since 2017 and putting pieces in place to make that happen and got going on development last year. Now have something in beta, which is exciting. But when we first started, we thought we were going to have to create all of the pieces of the puzzle of what we're building ourselves. And that was quite a daunting task and would need a lot of coding and a lot of time and money. But what's been so magical and makes me such a, you know, evangelist for Ethereum is that these people have um, have put together these tools that are necessary that we can build and innovate on top of that we don't have to entirely recreate the wheel. Okay, so it sounds like there's a whole blockchain style ecosystem that you can build all sorts of trading platforms or, or trade something or build something to trade inside that environment, which sounds really interesting. And, and I can see how they have a token similar to a Bitcoin operating on that. And then the one question that do you hear a lot about, especially in, in terms of climate change and looking at energy efficiency. And, and one thing you really hear about is, especially for Bitcoin, I don't know if the same issue is there with Ethereum and how it works, but is the fact that there's a, there's a mining process, there's an energy intensive process to produce Bitcoins, uh, which I heard is as big as the country of Netherlands uh, energy footprint. And, and I believe it will just grow over time as, as you get more and more. So was that, is that common to all the different type of cryptocurrency or is that really just an issue with, with That's Bitcoin? That's a great question. So the cryptocurrencies that have a high carbon footprint are any of them that are using the proof of work um, consensus mechanism. And so like you may have heard with Bitcoin, there are a bunch of specialized computers that are running 24-7, 365, um, competing to... Uh, do the mathematical equation that allows them to close the block and um, create the blocks of the blockchain and generate the um, the rewards that come from that. And so in that case, they are using electricity and the cost of electricity as an integral part of the security of that blockchain, um, because you would have to spend way more in electricity to overtake um, the true and proper consensus. I put that a little sloppily, but I think you get the idea. Um, Ethereum at present also uses proof of work. Um, so similar setup and both Bitcoin and Ethereum do have very significant carbon footprints. I like to call them a lot and a little because in the scheme of things, they're quite small. Um, but at the same time, it's also absolutely massive. And as you said, are growing. What I think we've seen over the last couple, well, really couple months being kicked off around NFTs, climate impact of NFTs, and then moving over to climate impact of Bitcoin is that we can no longer, and society is no longer going to ignore those emissions. And I think we've gone through some fracas. There's a strong sentiment that that caused a lot of the crash that happened a couple of weeks ago. But I'm realizing now that now that things are things are starting out, you know, we fishtailed, we almost spun out of control, but we've actually getting it back under control and able to keep driving down the road. And people are innovating. You've got, you know, 
major market players and influencers pulling together people to try to solve the issue. You've got scrappy upstarts um, working on the same thing. Um, I'm very fortunate to get to work with a variety of brilliant people on leaning in on addressing the climate impact of, of, of blockchain. And so this is a really exciting moment. And we have some responsibility to keep the ball moving. So with Bitcoin, because it will always be proof of work, <clears throat> that's where we need to look at renewable energy, understanding the true footprint of Bitcoin, and then, in my belief, offsetting the rest. So if you're a public company, if you have environmental social governance goals, ESG goals, or net zero commitments, or activist shareholders, or just normal, <laughs> smart human shareholders, uh, there will be pressure to reduce those emissions. And I think that's great. And it's eminently doable. And it'll only cost a fraction of the market cap and the value that's being created in, in crypto anyway. Um, so I think that's the path for Bitcoin. The path for Ethereum is to continue on its path that it's been working on for a long time and actively implementing is the move to proof of stake. Proof of stake is a different consensus mechanism where uh, it's basically people are putting up their coins in escrow and then using that to secure the system. That's also a bit of a not that good description. Um, but it basically means instead of burning all this electricity, it's ensuring that if you are to be messing around on the blockchain, that you're going to lose your tokens that you've put up. Um, and so this reduces emissions by 99% and more, um, and really fundamentally is a clean um, solution for blockchains that can move to it. So Ethereum is on the path. I'm really hopeful that Ethereum community can, you know, execute that, pat themselves on the back, and then keep using Ethereum like we are to try to proactively address climate change. Um, this is my hope. Um, and I do think that we can't sit back as the Ethereum community and say, oh, we're going to be solving our emissions thing in six to 12 months, um, because that's, that's you know, many lifetimes in crypto. I think the community needs to keep moving actively, and Bitcoin has shown that it can. Um, I would challenge Ethereum team to, to do that as well and people working on it and to keep building those innovations. We also see other blockchains like the NEAR protocol, like all sorts of others that already work on proof of stake that already have. NEAR is really neat. What they did is they did a carbon footprint of their emissions from the organization, from the blockchain, um, worked with a really reputable um, carbon footprinting and, and carbon folks, um, and then offset all of those emissions. So they're carbon neutral um, all the way to zero. And so this is also something that's um, available fundamentally to anybody. Um, and Nier's done a great job on that. Yeah. What I hear is, is that hasn't been much of a focus on, on, on the carbon impact of actually doing this cryptocurrency. So it sounds like there's a lot of innovation happening. And, and it sounds like there'll be a competitive advantage of whoever can create the, the low carbon Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency. So it sounds like that might get a quite a, an advantage over Absolutely. ones that um, That's happening right now. And I think that's why Ethereum can't really just sit back and wait for this because these, you know, everybody who's on proof of stake now is marketing their, their blockchain as, as low carbon. And, you know, if everybody does it, is it as valuable? But it's at the same time, you know, that's real. And it does grab market share. I think we've seen uh, a tool built on the Tezos blockchain called Hicketnunk uh, for NFTs, where a lot of the artists have gone because there was criticism and a lot of vitriol around the climate impact of NFTs 
in this case on Ethereum. And so there's this really neat market that's built up there. Um, and it's really vibrant and exciting. And so, you know, if we're one were an Ethereum maximalist and wanted everything to be on Ethereum, you would be sad because there's a lot of this creativity and amazing art going, you know, to a different part of the ecosystem. Um, so it's absolutely a competitive advantage. It's on the tip of people's tongue right now. And I think it probably will be for some time. And it's important to be green as I think I can really fairly say, but it's also important to be building in an ecosystem that your tools and what you're trying to build are ultimately going to be successful on. Um, and so as an Ethereum fan, I don't want to see people going to other platforms that are not going to be as ultimately functional for what they're trying to do at the end of the day, because Ethereum has not gotten its carbon footprint down quicker. And it sounds like, again, the big names you hear a lot is Bitcoin and Ethereum, or are those some of the bigger players? Because it sounds like there's a, there's a wide ecosystem and lots of startups coming up and even Elon Musk threw in the, the Dogecoin. Uh, so so are those kind of the two bigger players or is there, is there a very, very yeah, field? I'd definitely say Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are major players, but there is a whole, there's hundreds of different coins that they all trade. There's, I don't know how many coins there are with over a, a market cap of a, of a billion, but there's a lot. Um, and, you know, a lot of a market cap of more than a million dollars, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them. And so there's a lot of different players, a lot of innovation. I think that some of the blockchains are really distinguishing themselves, either in general or in particular to what they do best. Um, there is a surprising amount of sort of zombie coins or zombie tokens people will talk about that were created in the boom in 2017 that have never done anything other than really just sit there, but people will still speculate on them. Um, and they still have these massive market caps. And so there are these things that seem illogical. On the other hand, they're just signals to better understand what this whole world is. But there's a lot of different tokens, a lot of innovation. And where even up until recently, I felt that, you know, if it's not on Ethereum, it's it's dead to me kind of thing. I think that there is a lot of what I'm really excited about is the work that people are doing to interoperate with Ethereum. Um, so near protocol um, has an ability to deploy uh, your smart contracts from Ethereum directly over onto near using um, a a system called Aurora. They also have a thing called the Rainbow Bridge where you can bring assets over from one to the other and sort of tokenize them and wrap them, I believe, into Near. And so this type of interoperability starts getting exciting because it sort of acts as another layer. There's a discussion around what does layer two mean, but it's sort of for scaling and ability to put more stuff, more transactions at a lower cost and hopefully at the same or similar um, though it'll vary security. Um, and so I am excited about Ethereum kind of still being a central core where, where systems touch back to, but then you're able to disaggregate and use things with a faster throughput, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, less taxing on the main chain. Um, and so I am excited about that, those iterations, and they're going to solve a lot of stuff like speed, like cost, and interestingly, like environmental impact um, until the point that Ethereum is also super low carbon. Really interesting. Thank you for presenting us this world of really, in essence, the digital economy, right? Uh, and, and really, I hear Ethereum is almost the, the digital exchange. And it sounds like it's smart to just connect things to it. So you can just trade what you will. And, and it's beautiful how you've got the solution to literally digitize carbon and have it trade very neatly on this new type of exchange. Medium. Yeah. And we do that. It's fun and fascinating and, and, you know, distracting at times, but 
it's really important to realize that we tokenize this carbon to create the market, to finance the projects that created those underlying carbon benefits and scoped out that we can connect the opportunities to reduce emissions wherever they are around the world with the capital and demand and I guess expertise as well necessary to make that happen. So that's why we spend our time doing this is to support communities, to support innovators, um, to support the people and the places that are able to help us beat climate change with the technological tools and financial tools that are at the forefront of society today. Well, thank you very much for giving us an introduction, because I know that's a, it's often a very complex topic. And I have to say, even before this interview, like I knew tidbits of it. So thank you for giving us uh, some details and the overview. That was kind of, you know, opened up my world to, to the possibilities of blockchains and, and really what's Well, happening. that's very nice to hear. Um, and it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to do so. And before we go, is there, um, you, you mentioned a couple of things that you're looking for. Anything you'd like to um, leave with our listeners, any kind of requests? Because I know you're looking for like, these national partners to to get you going. Anything else that would would help? Certainly. Your so our our website is blockchainforclimate.org. You can learn more about our work there. Sort of different portions of that. You can look at sort of us in the news and the coverage that's been being generated, and and hopefully where we're we're weighing in to help people understand things better. We also do have a donate link um, where you can donate cryptocurrency if you're so interested uh, and contact information uh, for if you're wanting to volunteer and get involved. Uh, sometimes it's hard to onboard and we haven't and are not always able to do that. But sometimes there's really great fits of timing and people's skill sets and ability to get involved there. And then, Nick, as you mentioned, if you're a national party, um, a country or sort of engaged with one that you think might want to see the carbon market under Paris Agreement work out and might be neutral or positive on blockchain, um, we'd really love to speak with them. Um, and then, yeah, I'd say, you know, for people engaged in this space or wanting to get engaged, uh, see how you can use these tools to to create the things you want to see in the world. And so money is an obvious and amazing part of it. Um, I think there's a lot of other social and environmental activities that are being built with tools on this blockchain. And, you know, I think finally to be able to spend time in the space of nuance around crypto, some of it is crazy. Some of it, you know, is hard, hard to look at, but then there's also so much beauty in a lot of other places. And so um, find ways where you can be part of that solution. All right. Well, thank you for your time. And I really acknowledge you for, for bringing a very interesting solution to the problem we're facing. So I really hope uh, yeah, you have success in the Thanks very so much. Future. Really great to be on your podcast. To hear more about our podcast, showcase events, or on the Future Proof Network, please visit us at www.futureproof-network.com.